0: You can grab a seat uh, and check this out.
1: ...nomination for Alabama Agriculture Commissioner. I've been a farmer, a businessman, a cop, a marine during Vietnam, so listen up. Alabama Ag Commissioner is one of the most powerful positions in Alabama, responsible for $5 billion. Bet you didn't know that. You know why? Thugs and criminals. If they can keep you in the dark, they can do whatever they want with all that money. And they don't give a rip about Alabama. Here we are, losing three family farms a day. Illegals bust in by the thousands, and Alabama's unemployment's at an all-time high. And what are my opponents doing about it? Stealing yard signs in the dark of night from my supporters. Norman Grace brags on his Facebook page about receiving contributions from industries he would regulate. Bragging about receiving illegal money on Facebook. Who on earth would support such a dummy? And why? We're Republicans. We should be better than that. I'm Dale Peterson. I'll name names and take no prisoners. Give me the Republican nomination for Ad Commission, and let's show Alabama we mean business.
0: Amen. (laughs) Man, there is just something impressive about a person who is fully dedicated to the public good, right? Well, there's something impressive about people that are just... Dale Peterson, uh, I would say. Uh, Man, there's just something that we see in those people. The most ideal politician, right, at its most basic level, uh, a politician is someone who's dedicating their their lives or that season of their life to the public good, someone whose entire job is to work for other people. And we look at that, and there's something within us that knows that, man, that's awesome. There's something impressive in that endeavor. And, And yet, for many of us, the truth is, is that when we're not running for office, if we're not worried about becoming student class president or Yale leader or president of the button club, I don't know. But if you're not like running for an office, generally we don't find ourselves consumed thinking about the impact that our work has on the people around us. Generally, when we think about our work, when we look at our careers, when we're planning our future, we're focused on ourselves. We're looking at those job interviews or those potential companies, and we're asking ourselves, well, how does this position meet my needs or, or my gifting or my ability or my passions or, or my budget or my status or whatever? And we often find ourselves failing to ask the question of, well, how does this position meet the needs of other people? How does this impact not just myself, but the world around me? Over the next three weeks, we're continuing to look at the role of faith at work. And we've been doing this because these are two things that we often assume are disconnected when they are actually deeply integrated with one another. Uh, No goal can be set without faith, and no goal will ever be reached without work. And so what we see in Scripture is that the Lord is commanding His people to work by faith, because it's only by faith that we are able to work for both the glory of God and good of others. Last week we looked at this idea, at the idea that God has given value and worth to to all of our work because we're his image bearers. And so all of us as image bearers of God have the the power to create and and cultivate something new. The ability to create and cultivate a a culture that, that points to the Lord, that glorifies him, no matter what our position might be. We all have that potential. And this morning what we're looking at is this idea that God has not just given us value in our work and that we can point it to him, but he's put value into our work in that it can benefit the world around us. He's given all of our work the ability to contribute towards the common good to make an impact on our society. This is what we see in First Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul speaking to a group of believers. And he says, now we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more in love. Right? Sarah read it in its full context. Where we're seeing that he's talking about living in a way that, that's loving. And So he says, this is what you do more and more, to aspire to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we've commanded you. In this way, you will live a decent life before outsiders and not be in need. But Paul's speaking to a group of believers and he's essentially telling them, look, one of the ways that you can love the people around you, one of the ways that you're going to love and benefit the society around you, the culture around you, the people that surround you, the way that you're going to love them well is by working. is by doing your work diligently, faithfully, by, by dedicating yourself towards work in, in an excellent way. This idea is Throughout, found throughout Scripture. And a lot of people have picked up on that. Martin Luther King Jr. has a wonderful quote on it, talking about how God doesn't need our good works, but our neighbor does. Just another way to state the exact same idea. That we as believers can love the world around us. We're called to love our neighbors, right? We're called to love the people around us as much as we love ourselves. And what we see in Scripture is that one of the best ways we can love those people and fulfill that command is by working. By doing good jobs. Because our society, I mean, our culture, especially where we live now with globalization, where it's at, our reliance upon other people's work is astounding. Uh, Our our entire lives are so richly benefited by the work of others. Uh, It's something that we often don't even think about because it would almost just, you couldn't even go about your life, you'd get so distracted thinking about just how you are impacted by other people's work. I mean, the fact that we're all here this morning uh, is a is an incredible thing. Uh, Many of us got here by motor vehicle, right? Probably a car of some sort. A few brave souls maybe use those little scooters. That's great. I saw some people doing that. That's wonderful. Uh, Two or three on one. That's great. You're brave. Uh, But we generally get here in a car, right? So most of us got here in a car. But, But think about how other people are involved in that process, right? Maybe some of us, it wasn't even our car. It was our roommate's car. Thanks, Steve. Uh, for the ride. You know, that was great. Uh, But it goes beyond that, right? Like, even if it's our car and we're driving it ourselves, uh, there are so many other people that are involved. Someone had to design that car. Someone had to uh, accumulate, find the materials for that car. Someone had to assemble that car or the robot that assembled the car. Someone had to uh, sell that car to someone, right? Maybe you or your parents or whoever. You drove here on roads, that are really nice and smooth and, and put together. Someone planned those roads. Someone brought together the materials for those roads. Someone actually built those roads. Someone maintains those roads. They've been maintaining them for the past couple of weeks. It's been a nightmare if you work at the church. But, man, the finished product is hmm, so good, right? Just so smooth. Just as you leave today, just, just take a moment. Just stop your car in the middle of Anderson and just think about how smooth that road is, right? Because it's beautiful. And people are involved in every step of that process. We're all wearing clothes right now. That's amazing. None of us made those clothes. Oh, I mean, some of us, the brave souls, have maybe made an article. Is anyone, I'm just curious, has anyone right here, right now, made any item of clothing that you're currently wearing? You like made a piece? No. Look at that. We are fully dependent on other people. That's just the way we live our lives. We live our lives in such a way that we are so dependent upon the work of others so it would make sense that our work is a way to love the world, that our work is a way to benefit the society around us. Our work is an opportunity to love others so we should always look for opportunities to work. That's what we see in Scripture. That because our work is an opportunity to love, we should always look for opportunities to to work. It's going to look different at every stage. Right now, maybe you're a student. Maybe you have a part-time job. Maybe you're moving into an internship or or a full-time job or wherever you're headed. It's going to look different at every stage. At some point, some of us maybe aren't capable of working in the way that we used to work. Some of our parents or grandparents, have gotten to points where they're not able to work in the same way that they they were working, but there's still a work to be done. There's still something that can be in front of you. There's still a need that can be met. Much as seen with this lady.
2: My name is Elizabeth Layard, and they call me the hug lady because I hug everybody. I hug all the soldiers before they deploy. I hug them when they redeploy. I hug the soldiers if I see them uptown. I hug the soldiers if if I'm traveling and there's any military, they all get hugs. I started in June of 2003. I volunteered with Salvation Army. And I don't remember exactly how I started hugging. I think what happened, I think a soldier hugged me. And when he hugged me, there was a soldier over there, so he had to have a hug. You know, and it just snowballed. When I see the soldiers come through and the big smiles on their faces, and some of them say, one soldier tonight, you were the last hug I got when I left here, and now it's the first hug when I come home. It's just my way of saying thanks for what they do for us.
0: That's awesome, right? Hug Lady, Fort Hood, Texas. Uh, sadly, she uh, just this year, just, just passed away, um, but she had this incredible ministry, and it was so meaningful, it was so impactful that uh, even as I was looking it up, all right, I was, like, I was researching it yesterday, I was in a very emotional state, uh, it, was, uh, it was rough, uh, but... But what I found was that, man, she, she had such an incredible impact that all these soldiers, all these men and all these women showed up when she had her services just at the beginning of this year. Uh, all these people showed up paying her bills and, and showing up for a funeral and, and giving her hugs uh, as she was, um, I can't even go into it, but she, it was just an incredible way that you're able to see someone's work really be a way to love people, right? And, and some of us, it's not going to be like, that explicitly loving, right? Like for a lot of us, it's not like, yeah, I can't wait. I have this internship overseas in Spain. I'm, I'm going on a hug. I'm going on a hugging, a hugging trip, right? That's not <laughs> generally where we head. But there's still an impact. There's still a way that our work loves and serves and blesses the people around us. Even if we're working in an office or at a park or with students or wherever we head, the classes that we attend, the, the coffee that we serve, every single thing that we do, all of the work that we can put forth in the world is still an opportunity to serve and bless the people around us. And this is incredibly clear when we stop and consider, well, what happens if we're not working? Right? Like what happens if we don't work? A uh, Christian professor, uh, author writing on the subject of work, puts it wonderfully. He says, imagine that everyone quits working right now. He so says, what happens? The civilized life quickly melts away. So Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled. Fires burn themselves out. Communication, transportation services, they end. Utilities go dead. Our lives would come crashing around us if work stopped. He says those who survive at all are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and a culture is simply work work. We don't think about it, but this is, this is true. The society that we live in. Some of us, we look at it like, that sounds awesome. Right? That's like a Discovery Channel reality show in the making right there. You should take that, email that to some exec. But man, the, the reality is that many of us, that, that is not a life that we want to live. We want to be in a place where there's work. We want to be engaged. We've talked about this in the last few weeks. We, we are designed to work. And so our lives need that work for, for meaning, for, for purpose. It's, it's where we find our, our true joy and satisfaction. It's in working. But what we see is that in Scripture, we're not just working for the glory of God. We're working for the good of others. Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, For even when we were with you, we used to give you this command, that if anyone is not willing to work, neither should he eat. For we hear that some among you are living an undisciplined life, not doing their own work, but meddling in the work of others or relying on the work of others. He says, Now such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and to provide their own food to eat. Now, Paul is not saying that, you know, absolutely everyone absolutely has to work for their food. Like, there are certainly circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in where, yeah, we do need to rely more on one another. And and that's good. And the church body is there for those moments to help the people in need who are in special circumstances that that need help, that are unable to work maybe in certain capacities, right? That's not what he's getting at. He's just saying there is never a point in our lives, generally speaking, in our normal everyday lives, that we somehow are at a point where, oh, well, I don't need to work anymore. Like there's no more tasks to be accomplished. There's no more need that needs to be met. Saying No, that's always there. There's always something in front of us. Our work, again, doesn't have to take place in an office building. Our work doesn't even have to gain us a paycheck. We could be volunteering or serving in lots of different ways. But he says our work is going to be varied, absolutely, but it's never complete. Right? Scripture never shows us the point where you're meant to stop working. The nature of of our work, can change. But the need for our work always remains. Always. There's always a need that can be met through our service, through our sacrifice, through our work. Uh, In the early 90s, uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, hip-hop was taken off. And there were a lot of instrumental uh, groups and bands and individuals in this process. Uh, one of them was a, a group of people, uh, or a little band that they called themselves Public Enemy. Right? Now, they had a few members. One of them was Flava Flav, the guy with the big clocks that you know from like dating shows, which is really sad. Uh, but they, they actually made an impact. Like, they were actually doing really cool stuff back in the day. They were a very politically charged hip-hop group. And one of the members of this group, uh, he was their DJ. He was DJ Terminator X, all right? So he's seen on the far left wearing some slick hat with some rings, All right, right? Flames in the middle, that's the one you know. But DJ Terminator X is on the far left, uh, also seen here. Uh, he just has eyes dilated, I'm assuming, uh, and so he's got those protective shades. Uh, but Terminator X, eventually reached a point in his life, in his career, where he was like, you know what, I don't think I can say here. He had a, a car accident that kind of mixed up a little bit of uh, just sort of his, his situation, but he reached a point with Public Enemy where he was like, you know, I, I, think, I think it's time for me to step away. I, I think this life for me is, is sort of done. My work is complete here in this context. Right? He saw that the world, it, it had received its politically driven hip-hop, and so he thought, you know, there's something else to be done. There's another need that can be met, which he determined was, Well, of course, raising ostriches. Uh, And so he, to this day, uh, owns a 15-acre ostrich farm. And that's just what he does uh, ever since early 2000s. Terminator X owns an ostrich farm, which is uh, just amazing. I I love that. Because what? He saw, you know what? My work in this area is done, right? Like my, my, my fit in this a certain field and a certain vocation is complete. It's drawn to a close, but there's something else to be done. There's more needs to be met. The world has its politically driven hip-hop. The world needs more ostriches, right? and that's what he decided. Our work, the nature of our work varies from season to season, from time to time, from age to age, but the need for our work always remains. Other people's need for our service remains. And yet, many times, we get hung up. Many times, even though this sounds great. We find ourselves failing to kind of bind to this vision. We find ourselves wanting to, to pull back and lead that undisciplined life. We have times where we're, you know, four seasons into, I don't know, West Wing? I don't know what you want. Um, Dora the Explorer. And when we get there, we're like, dang, I got to know, is Map going to get it right next time? And so we think, you know, maybe this, maybe this undisciplined life is for me. And we, we get to that point. Why? Because we become, instead of being focused on the world around us, instead of being focused on the needs all around us, we become focused on ourselves. And we find ourselves drawn into this, this lie that we are the most important thing in the universe. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, Christian author and poet, puts it this way. She says, the essential modern heresy is that being that work is not the expression of man's creative energy in the service of society, but instead work is only something one does in order to obtain money and leisure. An example she uses is saying that doctors practice medicine not primarily to relieve suffering, but to make a living. That the cure of the patient is something that happens on the way. She uses examples of lawyers, other professional industries, which says, you know, it's, it's tragic that people buy into this lie assuming that, you know what, I'm in this job and I, it looks like I'm, I'm serving people. Like, what is more serving than being a doctor? You're, you're healing people. You're helping people. Just, and yet so many people buy into this lie that, well, they're just kind of there to get that money so they can pay for that leisure. They're just there to, to get that salary or, or achieve that status. And this is what our culture tells us. This is what we're surrounded by, this message that essentially we're just working for number one. It starts right out of the gate. Many of us have either been or, or are headed towards recruitment, right? This, we have job fairs at a and uh, Businesses all over the nation, all over the world love graduates from Texas A&M. And so they come here and they recruit heavily. They show up and they, they show up at these job fairs and, and they start trying to woo you, right? From the, just starting from a fair, They're, like, throwing pins and, like, flashlights and, like, squishy balls and, like, all this stuff. And you're, like, oh, man, there's so much swag. This is amazing. And then they invite you to an interview. But it's not just, like, an interview at, like, Starbucks. They're, like, hey, come on, let's go to the Republic or, like, Christopher's or Veritas or whatever. They try to woo you with one of our three nice restaurants that we have in College Station. (laughs) They take you there to try to talk to you about the job, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much food. Like you're still kind of squeezing the the stress ball and you're eating your macaroni that has like truffles or something fancy. And you just, you're loving the entire experience. Why? Because they're just lavishing these things on you. They say, come do an internship with us. So you go and you do the internship and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much overtime pay. Like you're sure you're working long hours, but you get time and a half for everything over 40 and you're you're squeezing that ball. You're like eating your leftovers because you ordered four Entrees, and you're just you loving the entire experience. Why? Because it is aimed at your needs. It is focused entirely on your desires. That's where we start. That's an internship. That's a job fair. We start with this idea, hearing this idea that our focus at work is meeting our own needs. Whether it's the salary that we're getting, whether it's the status we can achieve, our work so easily becomes self-focused. And what we're finding as a society—not even just as believers who look at Scripture and see that is wrong—even just as a society—we're realizing, oh, this is not, this is not working. Like, it's not working at all. We're looking at our workplaces. Employers are, are looking in their workplaces. They're looking at their staffs and, and they're, they're terrified. They're looking at this new crop of workers, these millennials. Uh, and they're realizing, oh my goodness, everything is so unstable. They're looking at the average job tenure of, of a millennial that's moving into the workforce. And they're realizing, wow, these people, they don't stay at a job for more than 16 months. That's the average job length right now. 16 months. Why? Because people bounce in. Maybe they feel like they're being loved or, or supported. They feel like they're meeting their own needs. And yet, at some point, that stops, right? At some point, there's a, there's a breach in that. At some point, that, that system breaks down. And when that happens, when I'm not achieving my own happiness, when, I'm, when my salary doesn't look the same as that guy across the street, when, when my status, when my job title just isn't the same as my buddy who, who just graduated as well, I bounce out. I leave. And so workplaces, employers, they're finding time and again that, wow, maybe this focus on self is, is kind of doing us a disservice. If everyone is entirely self-focused at a place of work, that is a terrible place to work. We see this. 1996, Ray Brent Marsh, a name that will live in infamy now, uh, started work at the Tri-State Crematory in Noble, Georgia. Started work in 1996, continued to work there for five years, worked there until 2001. Uh, But in 2001, a propane delivery truck guy was showing up, bringing him some supplies, uh, and he noticed that there seemed to be a very strange, a very unusually large number uh, of very much non cremated bodies on the property right it 's a crematory, so he 's supposed to cremate bodies uh, you know it 's converted to ash people that don 't want to do the normal burial process to give the ash to the families, put in an urn or something like that. But, but this delivery truck driver notices, wow, it looks like there 's a lot of just sort of corpses around more than I would anticipate at this place. And so he alerted the authorities, I'm assuming with, like, screams of of just terror. (laughs) Ah! And as he's telling the authorities about, like, hey, I saw all these dead bodies. Like, I don't know what's going on. They show up, and they talk to uh, Ray, right, good old Ray, and he told them, well... Uh, no, it's, it's just like the, the, the crematory, it's, it's broken right now, like the oven thing, it's just broken, uh, and so I'm having to do some alternative uh, methods to dispose of these bodies. And what they found was that Marsh, Ray, was putting all of these bodies, he was just dumping the bodies in the backyard of the crematory. And what they discovered is that he hadn't just started doing that in 2001. He had been doing that since 1996. And what they discovered is that there were 339 corpses buried, in the, kind of buried in the backyard of this crematory. Which doesn't make sense because they're like, but you've been giving ashes to these, to these families, these grieving families have been coming. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I just, every, whenever someone comes in, I bust up some concrete and I give them the dust. That's what I've been doing for five years. Ray, Ray, what happened, right? What happened in that moment? Ray Brent Marsh decided in that moment, you know what? This crematory thing, it feels like it's not really broken. Sure, I could probably call a guy and just have it fixed, like, now. Uh, But instead, why don't I just sort of dump people's bodies in the backyard for five years? Why? Because that's easier for me, uh, somehow. I don't know how, but somehow that is easier for Ray. Because whose needs is he he focused on? He's focused on himself. He's living in a self-focused workplace. And when that happens, man, our work is, is horrible, it devolves very quickly into something that no one wants to be a part of. It quickly turns into work that's no longer even a service or a loving thing for the world around us. It becomes self-serving and becomes broken and gross. Like, really gross? That's a lot of... Uh, it's gross! We see this. It's summed up by Tim Keller. His book, Every Good Endeavor, that we're basing the series upon... Uh, does a wonderful job explaining, saying that if the point of work is to serve and exalt ourselves, then our work inevitably becomes less about the work and more about us. Our aggressiveness will eventually become abuse. Our drive will become burnout. Our self-sufficiency will become self-loathing. He's saying all these wonderful qualities that we bring to the table at the beginning, if we're focused in at serving ourselves, are eventually going to turn against us. He says if the purpose, but if the purpose of our work is to serve, and exalt something beyond ourselves, then we actually have a better reason to deploy our talent, ambition, and entrepreneurial vigor. We are more likely to be successful in the long run, even by the world's standards. Meaning not only are we answering the Lord's command, not only are we fulfilling God's desire for our lives, for our work, but even just from a non-biblical standpoint, those people are better workers. Those are better employees. Those that are focused on the needs that are greater than their own. Those that are focused on serving society, that are serving the world around them, trying to make an impact beyond themselves. And I don't really know how you get there if you're not a believer, right? I mean, there's there's certain kind of philosophies you can buy into. There's other ways to go about it. But honestly, the clearest... Call to this the clearest command, the clearest direction to head if you want to work for something bigger than yourself is by being a Christian. It's by seeing that, you know what? My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. God himself looked at me someone who was in need, someone who was suffering and dying that was headed towards destru- destruction. And God didn't wait for me to uh, you know, call out. God didn't wait for me to, to send him an email or, or run up the flag. Instead, God saw me in my need and he chose to pursue me first. God chose to die for me when I was still a sinner, when I was still a child of wrath, running in the opposite direction of God's will and God's desires. The Lord called me to salvation. The Lord sent Jesus Christ out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for my sake so that I can have salvation. I can have an eternal life with the God who made me by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. I no longer have to be a child of wrath. Instead, I can now be adopted as a son or a daughter of the Lord Most High. Man, what greater thing is there? What greater purpose could we ever hope to work for than the God, the Father, who saved us. And when we do this, if we we work in this way, if we choose to contribute to the world at large, if we choose to work not just for the glory of God, but also the good of others, because when we are believers, we also recognize that Jesus Christ didn't just die for me, He died for you. He died for everyone. God loves the world. So He sent His Son to die. Everyone has worth. Everyone has value. Everyone is made in the image of God. God knows the hairs on every single person's head. He's intimately involved in every person's life. So I work for their sake because God says, you know what? The greatest thing you can do, Jesus says the greatest commandment you can fill is not just to love God, but also to love each other, to love others. So I work for not only the sake of God, but also for the sake of others. And when I do that, when I have that higher purpose, man, my work becomes something beautiful. And my work becomes something amazing that the world around me will notice. Frederick Buckner quoted him a few times. Christian author, Christian theologian, says to believe that a wise and good God is in charge of things implies that there is a fit between the things that need doing and the person I'm meant to be, between the kind of work that you need most to do and the world most needs to have done, where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. This is beautiful. If I am a believer, I recognize that God created the world with a purpose, with a plan, He created me with a purpose and a plan. And so as a believer, I will recognize that there's a fit in there, that there's a connection there, that God has designed me to meet a need, that I will find deep gladness if I'm meeting a deep hunger in the lives of the people around me. Keller says, how? With my existing abilities and opportunities, can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and of human need? He's, discre- he's using this as an example of something to ask ourselves, just a framework to use. As we're looking at future careers, if we're looking at future jobs, we're looking at internships and opportunities and study abroad and classes and majors. He says, this is the question we should be asking ourselves. How can I with my current abilities, with my current opportunities, how can I be of the greatest service to other people? I'm not asking myself, what's the salary I want to make? What's the status I want to achieve? I'm not asking myself, how do I just meet all of my needs? Instead, I'm asking myself, how can I be effective for God? How can I be used by the Lord to bring benefit, to bring blessing to the world around me? How can I be his instrument in the midst of this world? How can I be his witness? How can I be his light in this darkness? How can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do about myself, knowing what I do about God, knowing what I do about the needs around me? This is a question that we all ask ourselves. This is a question that we love to dive into. We all want to know, how am I gifted? How am I equipped to work? That's why you see personality quizzes. You see all these people that are like, well, I'm a lion, but I'm also a little bit of a sea. C- Otter puppy, like you know, there's like people know those things, and they like gravitate to it. Like, yeah, I'm an AB ABF Delta purple purple dragon. Like, people know what they are. Why? Because they care about that. We want to know who we are. We take these quizzes. We do these tests. Uh, we take ridiculous tests from time to time. We ask ourselves things like, "Well, what kind of cookie am I? <laughs> what kind of cookie am I?" No joke. One of the questions in this quiz is, "Well, which Pokemon would you be?" That's just a question to determine what kind of cookie you are. No idea. Some of us were like, no, well, you know, cookies, that's for the that's for the masses. I am in this Christian culture, I'm in this community. I'm going to ask myself, well, which one of Jesus' disciples would I be? Right? Like what's what's kind of a more biblical framework to this BuzzFeed personality quiz? that I can find out about myself. This is why we are, you know, our aunts are like showing up on our Facebook feeds of like, I'm a Gryffindor. And we're like, you are a hufflepuff Bo show Don't even try. <laughs> don't even try. Right? Like we see this in the world around us. People love to ask themselves, what am I? What am I gifted at? What am I good at? Who would I be? If I was a cookie, what would I be? I don't know. Snickerdoodle? Probably. Right? We have these goals. We have these questions that we want to answer. And what we see in Scripture is that this is a good thing. This is something that God gave us. God wants us to, to be interested in, in how we're equipped and, and how we've been gifted in our abilities and our passions. That's a good thing. It's a good pursuit to understand ourselves. That's why even believers have put together wonderful frameworks. We see things in Scripture like talking about spiritual gifts. Every believer, that once you become a believer, once you're adopted in the family of the Lord, you are given the indwelling Holy Spirit. And that spirit will produce fruit in your life. That that spirit will enable you to serve the Lord in new ways, give you new desires, new abilities. We know that God is at work within us to bring forth not only new work, but also new desires in our lives. And so we see in Scripture these ideas of these spiritual gifts, and that's a cool thing. You You should look into that. Ask yourself, well, what is my spiritual gift? Or maybe even outside of the spiritual realm, like, well, how am I gifted? What do I do? We have a thing on, on our staff. Uh, every person that, that rolls through, there's a number of uh, kind of quizzes and profiles that, that we fill out. One of the big ones is a thing called Strength Finder. That's wonderful. It's going to cost you like 12 bucks or 15 bucks or something like that. But StrengthsFinder is, is an incredible resource that kind of breaks down, like, okay, so this seems to be who you are. And what's helpful about it is it's not just that quiz is like, you're a snickerdoodle. Like, it actually sets you up with, like, the direction to go. It says, okay, well, these are the ways you're gifted. This is where those people generally wind up. Or these are the vocations that those people generally go into. This is where you're going to have difficulty. This is where you're going to have strength. It's great. It's a wonderful thing, Strengths Finder. Another thing that we do uh, is we do a, a CISS profile. I can't even remember what it stands for, uh, but if you go to profiler.com, it's about 20 bucks, but it is a, another study that finds out, okay, what are you passionate about and what are you good at? And it makes that distinction. And you get to see, okay, well, where am I headed? This is one of the big reasons, answering this question is one of the big reasons that we have a thing that we're calling Discover Your Ministry, February 28th and March 6th. It's a two-week thing. You don't just come to one. You come to both. February 28th, March 6th, here in this room at 9 o'clock. We're meeting, and we're talking about this. We're trying to help you discover how are you gifted? How are you equipped? What are your passions? What are your abilities? We want to help you discover that. We want to do it here. So come on. February 28th, March 6th, in this room, 9 o'clock. We're asking anyone who wants to serve in our ministry, serve in college ministry, anyone who wants to lead in college ministry, we, we really, really, really want you there. We want everyone there, but especially we are asking our leaders, anyone interested in leadership or service, to be at that class so we can help you discover, I mean, where, where is your fit? But the reality is that knowing our own abilities, knowing our gifting, I mean, it only takes us so far. It's only helpful if we also are aware of what needs to be done. Right? Not just what can I do, but what should be done. We need to be looking for opportunities to use our gifting, even before graduation. Right? Many of you, you feel like, well, I'm not in a space, I'm not really a leader right now, I'm not like in charge of anything, I don't manage a team. But you can still lead, even when you're not in charge. You can still go above and beyond at work, or in that group project, or in the home you're living in. We all have opportunities to meet needs around us. There's always a need for our work, for our service. And that's the other reason we're doing the Discover Your Ministry, February 28th, March 6th, because we want to not just look at, okay, what are you good at? What, what can you do? But then we're going to lay out, we're going to lay out a matrix and say, this is needs that we see, not just at Grace, but in our community. These are the areas where you go. These are the ministries you could be involved in. These are the organizations you could be a part of. These are the ways that God has been equipping you and gifting you. This is where you can go and work and bring benefit to others. And when we do that, when we're meeting needs of people around us, it will bring joy. It's not just a thing to check off. It's not just a way to, like, okay, God, like, oh, I'm just gonna love you in this way. It, the Lord has designed us to where we actually find joy in meeting the needs of others. My wife works uh, as a nurse. She works in the emergency room at Scott and White Hospital. Uh, she still picks up shifts here every once in a while. And I asked her straight up. I was like, hey, so you, I mean, you work in service. You work in, you know, meeting the needs of these people. You're you're a nurse in an emergency room. So, so what? what have you seen? Like, what kind of needs do you see that are just wonderful? Like, you just, you find so much joy and fulfillment when you, when you meet someone's needs. What, what's an example? First thing. <laughs> Things you thought of. She's like, well, it's like, honestly, when someone comes in and they have urinary retention, you set them up with a catheter and it's, it's amazing and they feel so much better. Some of us are like, I don't know what that is. I'm not BIMS. Uh... <laughs> I'm writing an essay on, like, Wagner right now. I don't know what that is. Uh, just ask one of your friends. Maybe Google it, not images, but, you know, just figure it out. <laughs> Urinary retention plus catheter equals incredible relief, essentially. Let's just say that. You're blocked up. You get this thing. You're no longer blocked up. You're feeling good. And that's the thing. That's a need that she says, you know what? Honestly, when I see, when I see the relief that people feel, when people are, are, are aided and served in that way, when they're blessed in that way, it brings joy feel accomplishment. So if someone comes in, so there's another clear one, and someone comes in with their shoulder dislocated, somebody knocks that thing back in, it's like, it's terrifying, but it brings so much joy. It's incredible to see the relief, to see that your service has this incredible impact. The reality is that, I mean, our work in every area can have that impact. It's not always going to be giving hugs, it's not always going to be popping shoulders in the socket, but it will still have its own impact. It still has its own way of meeting needs, of loving people, and when we do that, we bring joy, not just to others, but to ourselves and to the Lord God's designed us in this way that our meeting needs would, doesn't only do that, doesn't just benefit us and the Lord, but it stands out. Tom Nelson wrote a wonderful book on work called Work Matters. He says, The excellence of our work often gives us the credibility to speak of the excellence of our Lord Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel with our coworkers. Our God-honoring work is often one of the greatest apologetics for our God-focused words. And this is beautiful. Truth is, is that if we are working in such a way that we are worried about the needs of others, that we're focused on, on the impact that we're having, not just on our own status, not just on our own salary, but we're, we're focused on the needs of the people around us, mean, that is such an incredible witness. Stands out from the crowd. Because who does that? Imagine if that's how Christians worked. If that was just the way we were known as a people, as men and women who work for the sake of others. A couple of our leaders uh, here in our ministry, Daniel and Aaron, are super great. And they were great, and they were leaders with us uh, in Dulos, our freshman ministry. Uh, They were doing a wonderful job, but they reached a point uh, about a year ago where they realized, you know what, Uh, there's a way that we want to kind of serve our, our peers in a different way. They, they didn't want to just continue in leadership within Grace. They didn't want to just lead another Bible study or be a coach for one of our small groups. They said, "You know what? Instead, we're both engineering majors, and we interact a lot with all these engineering people. We're spending all of our time in Zachary, still the engineering building. Probably get some nods. Okay, yeah. So they're spending other no, whatever. It's a, what is it? What's the engineering building? It's torn down. <laughs> 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 it's so sad." was like super, okay, well, what's engineering building now? Is there one? The library. The library. <laughs> okay, well. Okay, great. Well, then they were like, hey, we're spending all this time in the library uh, with all these other engineers. We've found a, a tree. We've carved ourselves out a, a pit in one of the construction zones uh, that we're at, that we're, we're meeting in. But they saw that, you know, we're in these new places. We're, we're surrounded by these people. We have the same people in our groups. We have the same people in our labs. We're, we're doing all these projects with the same people. We want to serve them. We want to reach them. And so we are going to go out. We're going to to branch out. We're not just going to do what's always been done. Instead, we're going to create a new community. We're going to create a new small group. And we're going to invite engineering majors to this. We're going to ask people in our classes, people in our labs, people in our projects. That's who we're going to talk to. And it's been amazing. And they've reached a ton of people. And they have all of these men, all these women, these people, these brilliant engineering majors who are coming to this group with questions, who are hungry to learn. Some of them are believers, some of them aren't. And they're all meeting together to study God's Word, to try to understand what is this whole God thing, what is this plan for our life. And they are only able to do that because they're good students if they were just hanging out and they're just kind of, no one wants to be on that, that guy's group project, no one wants to be in her lab group, like no one wants her as a part, no one wants him, I mean, people aren't going to get that invite to like, hey, do you want to come join this small group, this community, this, this Bible study? No one's going to want to say yes to that. Why? Because their life, their work as an engineer, as a student, isn't good. And so that no one really wants to be a part of whatever else they're doing, because obviously it's not working, But because they pursued excellence in their studies, because they pursued excellence in their work, suddenly, when they start talking about God, other people listen. And other people want to go the direction that they're already headed. We can do that. We can all do that. So as we wrap up, we're going to take a couple minutes uh, and do something that we we do from time to time here. if It's your first time. I promise it's not super weird, uh, but we're going to pray with each other. And we're going to find one person or two people, uh, just one or two people around you. Uh, maybe you know them already. That's great. And maybe you don't know them already. That's awesome. Introduce yourself uh, very quickly. And, and you're going to just share with that person where it is that you see a need. So maybe it's in a certain class. Maybe it's in a certain relationship. Maybe it's a, in a place that you work. Maybe it's in, in, in a, with a family member. It, it can be anywhere. It's very, you can be as specific or, or vague as you want. It's Okay. But just share very, very briefly. This is where I see a need. This is a need that I feel that I can meet. This is an area, this is somewhere where I can serve and bring blessing to people around me. Share that very briefly so that you then have time to pray for each other. So you and that one or two people, you pray for each other. You ask that the Lord would use you to meet that need for the common good. So grab a partner, one or two people right now, Go for it. Lord, we thank you that you have put us uh, into this ministry, Lord, not, not isolated from one another, God, not, not uh, just on our own trying to do our best in the world, but Lord, we thank you that you have surrounded us with, with brothers and sisters, Lord, with other men and women who, who want to serve you as well, that, that want to know you as well, that, that want to bring benefit and blessing to the world around us. Lord, Lord we thank you that we are walking alongside of, of so many other believers, Lord, people that we can turn to for support, for encouragement, for accountability. Lord, we, we ask that we would not forget that, that, Lord, we wouldn't get caught up in our own things, that we wouldn't feel isolated. Lord, if we lack the community in this moment, that, Lord, we would seek it out. God, we ask that you would give opportunity for that uh, today. But if you would take a moment now, and just on your own, ask the Lord to, to guide your thoughts, to not just identify that need that you see in the world, not just see that, that opportunity to serve and, and love people well, but ask the Lord to then, maybe right now draw a plan of action in your mind to bring an idea or or a a circumstance or or some way that you can move forward today or tomorrow, whatever it is, to to move towards meeting that need, to serving in that way, to, to live in such a way that you're working not only for the glory of God, but the good of others, so that everyone who sees it, everyone who feels that impact might not just see your greatness or or your worth, but instead they would see the greatness, they would see the worth, they would see the grace and love of God himself. So ask the Lord to set your feet in motion, to put that plan in place right now.